If I were to say the name Jonah, what comes to your mind? Chances are it's something like this. Many of us have this picture when it comes to hearing the name Jonah. We think of the story of Jonah and the big fish, or Jonah and the whale, and we picture this almost fairy tale-like story about some guy who disobeys God and ends up getting swallowed by a big fish only to be spit out a few days later. If you grew up, whether inside the church or outside of the church, you may have no more of a picture than that to this whole story. If you grew up in the church, whether it was from the 70s to early 2000s, there's a good chance that if you went to Sunday school, you saw this very flannel graph, and this is all that you have etched into your mind. The sad part about this is, though, that this is only just a few verses of the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is four chapters, and it's, it's rich and complex. It challenges us to think about all sorts of different things about our lives and who God is and our interaction with him in response to the things that he calls us to. Over the next four Sundays, we're going to be looking at this book of Jonah, and we're going to be asking ourselves all sorts of questions in response to these deep and important questions. We're going to look at the fact that this biography is sort of a mirror for us. And this mirror is an opportunity for us not just to look at a historical account of something that happened with one of ancient Israel's most famous prophets, but it's also sort of a, an opportunity for us to see how, how, how would I react in those situations? How do I react when God calls me to certain things? And how might God respond to me or think about the actions which I have undergone? As we go through the book of Jonah, we're going to actually see that Jonah is not at the center of the story. At the center of the story, there is God. If you know the story, you know that it is God who calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. It is God who sends the storm when Jonah disobeys. It's God who sends the fish when Jonah's thrown overboard. It's God who is the center of Jonah's prayer. It's God who ends up sending Jonah a second time. It's God who removes his wrath off of a city that deserves punishment. It is God who counters what Jonah's attitude is at the end of the book. Now, if you have not studied this book, or maybe all that you have in mind is that flannel graph image, don't worry. As we go through the next four weeks, we're going to look at all of these things in depth to ask ourselves those big questions. As we run through all of this, we're going to pick up on a few important themes. One of those themes is that God cares about how we relate to others, even if they are nothing like us, or even if we actually have issues with them. We're going to look at the idea that God uses imperfect people and that he accomplishes his plans through them or in spite of them. We're also going to wrestle with this idea that we serve a God who has this balance of both justice and mercy. There's so much in store as we walk through this story. So if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. And today we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 16. Now I know that's only going to leave one verse at the end of chapter 1, but we're going to use that as our springboard for next week. 
Now, there's no shame, by the way, that this is a small book, so if you don't know where it is in your Bible, go to the table of contents or pull it up on your phone because it's easier to find that way. But either way, turn with me to Jonah chapter 1 where we're going to look at verses 1 to 16. Let's see what it has to say. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And God said this, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell asleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not because the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to him, and made vows. So as we come into the scene of the opening of the book of Jonah, we've got this guy, a guy named Jonah, and he's told by God to go to the city of Nineveh. And he's supposed to go there and, and preach this message of God's looking down upon them with wrath because of what they are doing, how they are living, and, and God wants him to go and preach this message. So what does Jonah do? Well, he gets up and he runs in the exact opposite direction. So I think as we start, we just need to stop here for a moment to get full context of everything that is to come. We need to answer the questions, who is Jonah? What's the big deal about Nineveh and why doesn't Jonah want to go there? So let's start with this question of who is Jonah? I mean, when we start the book, it really just tells us who he's the son of, which was one way that they used to identify each other in ancient times. But this is really important because it gives us a clue that the earliest readers of the book of Jonah, the, the people who first heard the story, would have had this understanding of who he was. It tells us that he must have been someone influential. In fact, we actually see Jonah appear elsewhere in the Bible. In 2 Kings chapter 14, we get a small glimpse into who he is. 
Jonah's this well-known prophet who receives messages from God and is there to share them with other people. Original readers of uh, the story of him, or people who knew what happened in that account of 2 Kings, would have known that Jonah was this sort of nationalistic prophet. He really believed that the nation of Israel should be a dominant force, and so he supported one king's aggressive military policy and actions. Jonah would have been seen and known as a patriot who puts Israel first and foremost. And so that tells us that we already are starting off on an interesting note. Because God calls someone who puts Israel first to go to a place that's not part of the nation of Israel. So then that leads us to ask this question about what's the big deal about Nineveh? And why wouldn't Jonah want to go there besides maybe a a desire for his country to, to flourish and his wanting to be in his homeland? Well, as we study history, we come to know that Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire at the time. And the Assyrians were one of the most brutal of all ancient empires. I mean, these guys took cruelty to the furthest extent that you could think of. They would take everything to the extreme. The emperors would have their, their throne rooms lined with pictures of, of decapitations and disembowelments. The soldiers would per, commit these cruel acts. For instance, one of the most popular things for them to do to humiliate leaders of, of, of foreign enemies would be to cut off one arm and both legs of each of those leaders, and then to have people do a processional. They would walk by and shake the one remaining hand of a man as they would die. These people took cruelty to the furthest extent that they could. And I'm not even sharing the worst of the parts. And so this nation of Assyria, this ruling capital city of Nineveh was a place that was sort of the hub of this awful empire. And they were neighboring to Israel. And in fact, we see that they weren't just a neighbor who was mean when they were on campaigns of expanding their empire, but they were cruel to even those countries that they just sat next to. At the time of Jonah, the nation of Assyria was extorting the nation of Israel. They would ask for these crazy tributes to come in, huge amounts of wealth. They said, if if you give us this, then we'll leave you alone. They were blackmailing them. They were kind of holding them over the fire. We know as we look at history that eventually Assyria just gives up on this and will come and invade the nation of Israel. And so we can understand that if Jonah's this prophet who's for Israel first and he sees this city on the outside who is the capital of this empire who he would have a ton of disdain for, he would go, well, well, why would I want to go there? And you know what? I think that as we see Jonah's response, it's easy to, to sort of identify with what he's thinking. He probably goes, God, I don't get this. We're your chosen people, so why them? Why am I supposed to go share with them the news about who you are? Because they are so awful to the people you say you love. When Jonah decides to run away, he doesn't just question God's decisions, but he questions God. He asks, well, how can God be wise and good? 
As we go through the book and we see some of Jonah's interactions and conversations with God in prayer, we're going to see that he reveals more. But ultimately, we will see that there is a lack of trust in who God is. Now, you might never have experienced the call of God for you to go love people who you hate. Maybe you've never felt this desire that you need to kind of go and meet people where they're at, and those are people who are doing awful things towards you. But while maybe we've never had these same circumstances that Jonah had, I think there's been times in all of our lives where we've probably questioned God's goodness, his wisdom, his justice. These moments come for all sorts of reasons. They can come when we have relationships that crumble, and we just sit and wonder, why God? We can wonder when we get a, a negative diagnosis after a test, does, does God really care? We can see people who turn towards God and we hear that he's forgiven them after they've done horrible things and we, we can say, God, where's your justice? I think for a lot of us, we experience different setbacks or we see different things at different times that make us ask, why God? Who are you? What are you doing? And just like Jonah, we have an opportunity to decide what we will do. How will we respond to this God who is uh, allowing something to challenge us? How will we respond to a God who calls us to live in a certain way that, that maybe we don't want to live up to? Maybe we'll be asking this question of what we supp are supposed to do next. Or we can choose to trust in God. We can run with him and run towards him. Now, of course, as we look at the story of Jonah, we see right away in verse 3 what he does. When Jonah is challenged by the word of God, we see that Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from God. So what we know, if we were to pull out a map, is that we sort of have Nineveh up over here. It's sort of to the, to the northeast of where Jonah is. And then to the far outermost west is this town of Tarshish. Tarshish was on the outer rim of what the Israelites knew of the world at the time. And so what Jonah does when he feels challenged by God is he says, you know what, I'm done with this. I am going to get out of here. But not only am I just going to get out of where I am, I'm going to run as far away as I can from where God is calling me to. And what happens with that? Well, we see that it doesn't work all that well for him. In verse 4 and 5, we see that because of Jonah's action, God sends this great wind on the sea, and, and this violent storm rises up, and the ship that Jonah is on threatens to break up. This is such an incredible storm that it says that all the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to their own God, and they threw the cargo in the sea just to lighten the ship. They, they don't want it to go down. What I want us to notice this morning as we study God's word here and look at the account of what Jonah did is, is to consider the fact that how we choose to live as followers of Jesus, how we choose to react, what God calls us to, matters. These things matter to God and it matters to others. And I think this is especially important considering where we are as a church right now. 
We've just studied the Sermon on the Mount, and we've spent months looking at how Jesus calls his people to live their lives. We've looked at what we should be all about, about the way that we should live for God's glory and for the flourishing of humanity. As we've wrestled through these texts last week, when we looked at the close of it, we wrestled with this fact that God gives us a warning that we need to put these things into practice. Jonah here goes on and illustrates what happens when we don't. What happens when we don't choose to follow God? And what happens when we do? And we'll see both of those things happen here at first where Jonah doesn't, and later on in the book where we see that he does respond in the way that God calls him to. As we've been studying God's word together as a church, as hopefully you have been wrestling with your walk with God over the last number of months, as we've been growing together in community groups, I think that a lot of us have probably come to these places where we know that there's things that we should do as followers of Jesus that we've said no to. Or maybe there's things that have come up and we know that that would be beneficial, but we've said, you know what, I've got so much on my plate, I'm going to put that on the back burner. Maybe there's even some of us who feel like Jonah and that we're actually running away from God's call because for some reason we're scared. And these things can look like a whole bunch of different things. For some of us, it's, we know that there's maybe a spiritual discipline that we need to incorporate if we, if we want to grow, but we say we're too busy or too tired. Maybe there's a conversation that you're supposed to have with someone, and you say, either because you're, you don't like them or, or aren't close to them, that you say you want to keep them at, at arm's length, or maybe they're really close to you and you're scared you'll, you'll embarrass yourself or trip over your words or, or do the wrong thing, so you, you keep at a distance. There's some of us, I believe, who probably feel like we're called to reach out to a certain people group, whether that's in our community or around the world, and we say, well, maybe that's what God's calling me to, but not yet, or I'm not ready, or I don't really want to because of my comfort. I'll tell you that if that is where you are at today, you need to listen to the story of Jonah, you need to see how one man's story can illustrate for you the consequences of your rebellion or your inaction. When Jonah decides to reject the option of trusting God and going where he's called, a storm comes about in his life. But that storm doesn't just impact Jonah, but it impacts the community around him. The reality is that when we sin, when we disobey God, sometimes storms come with those decisions. Now, I I, want to be careful up front because I'm not saying that everything bad that ever happens comes from God. In fact, much of what comes just comes from the state that we live in as this broken world that is just had havoc wreaked on it by sin. And we got to look at this in context because we know elsewhere, like in the book of Job, that sometimes bad things happen to good people who are trying to serve and worship God. But we, we also have to understand what we see depicted here in Jonah. Tim Keller summarizes it saying this. He says, The Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. The Bible speaks sometimes about God punishing sin, but some other times of the sin itself punishing us. Both are true at once. All sin has a storm 
attached to it. Anytime we choose to disobey God or resist what his spirit's trying to do with us in life, we enter in to difficulty. And we know that these storms aren't pleasant, but hopefully what we can learn to do is embrace them and learn from them. Hopefully what we can do, like Jonah will eventually do, is to develop some positive traction in the right direction because of it. If you're experiencing a storm right now and you know that it's linked to your resistance against God, I hope that you will decide to cling to him, to turn to him, to ask for his mercy, to respond with a level of humility, uh, a a greater sense of self-control and discipline, that you would uh, admit to where you have gone wrong and that you would turn your life and orient it towards what he is calling you to. Let us learn from the example of Jonah. What's the right response? It's to give ourselves over to what God calls us to. Now, of course, that's not what Jonah does when the storm comes. We see that Jonah's just sort of fed up and he's tired. And and doesn't this happen when we resist God? Do you ever feel just extra tired and overwhelmed when you do? Well, well, I think that just comes from a spiritual place, not just a physical place. But we see that that Jonah says, I'm just done with this. And he goes into the bottom of the boat and takes a nap. And so now what's happened is that there's this storm raging, and it's not just Jonah dealing with it in the bottom of the boat, but it's all of these sailors from Joppa. And so these people are impacted by what Jonah has decided. And we're told that the the sailors try to lighten the load. They dump the precious cargo overboard. They speak to their gods, and they reach out for anything that could solve their problem. I think this is an interesting thing because what God does is he uses this situation to draw other people towards him. These men on the sailboats are the ones who are looking for what is right. It's the storm that makes them realize that they need God. These are experienced sailors. They know something's up. They know that this is beyond just nature at its worst, but instead there's something bigger. And so ironically, while God was sending Jonah to push people towards him, it's other people that will end up experiencing God and then pushing Jonah to God. We read about this all in verses 6 to 10. We read, The captain went to him and said, How can you go to sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked us, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? They're they're firing questions at him, trying to figure this all out, and he answers to them. He says, I'm a Hebrew and worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. And we read that this terrifies them, and they ask, what have you done? Because Jonah's already told them that he's on the run from God. Of course, we see in the preceding, in the following verses that Jonah realizes what's happening, and Jonah has the men eventually cast him overboard because he, be, he becomes challenged by the fact that, that, that he has brought this storm on these men's lives. And in fact, the, the, the captain actually challenges him to consider what's really going on. Now, as I read that, I, I'm reminded by the fact that, 
of the fact that our sin actually impacts those around us and it impacts us as part of a community. How might your sin, your rejection of what God's calling to you, be affecting those around you? One French theologian wrote this. He said, these Joppa sailors are pagans, or in the modern terms, non-Christians. But the lot of non-Christians and Christians is linked. They are in the same boat. The safety of all depends on what each does. They are in the same storm, subject to the same period, and they want the same outcome. This ship typifies our situation. You know, as I think about that, I think that you and I as believers have many of the same interests of the people that are in the community around us who do not know God. The community around us wants to see life flourish, but they are in the midst of what's happening in our world right now, which is just that all these storms seem to be coming at us from every direction. And and so people are desperately searching for answers. They're searching for peace. They're searching for uh, the, the way to get to where they want to go, to have a flourishing whole life. And, and I think that as we find ourselves in this moment in history, we find ourselves with all of humanity asking these questions and impacted by the sin of the world in some regards. And, and we as Christians then need to be the ones reminded that our lives are linked with others. And we need to then consider how can we take part in what God's doing for the best of our community. Tim Keller writes this. He wrote, Jonah fled because he did not want to work for the good of the pagans. He wanted to serve exclusively the interests of believers. But God shows him here that he is the God of all people. And Jonah needs to see himself as being part of the whole human community, not only a member of the faith community. What about you? Where do you see yourself as a person of faith? Where do you see yourself, where where do you see the rubber hitting the road as someone who Jesus calls to bring about more of heaven on earth? Are you going to respond to the big and little calls that God is placing upon your heart and mind? Or will you let more storms blow into your life and the life of those around you? These are important things for us to consider. As followers of Jesus, we are challenged to be a light to the world. We're challenged to enrich the lives of our whole community, seeking to bring about healing and restoration by pointing people to the only one who can provide it, and that person is Jesus. Our lives are supposed to be centered not around our own interests, but around the interests of God. We're called to call other people towards him. Now, for many of us, that seems daunting, and maybe the the, the thing you're wrestling with, the call that God's placed on you, uh, seems too big. So let me end with three pieces of good news that I think we can find in the story of Jonah and the reflections on Scripture about him. And the first of these three things is this. The good news is that God works in spite of us. One of the things that I love about the book of Jonah is that it reveals that God's not tied down by us. 
He's in, in control. God is sovereign. He rules and he will accomplish his purposes. Just because Jonah didn't think that God should have been working at the, in the lives of people outside of the nation of Israel didn't mean that God was going to stop. In fact, God used Jonah's rebellion to bring about other people who didn't know him into a saving relationship with him. We're told that the sailors who allowed this guy on the run from God onto their ship end up making commitments to God. They make vows to God, sacrifices to God, because they see who he is. Remember that God will work together the good for all of those who love him, even in the midst of storms of this life. The second piece that we'll get to as we continue to go through this book, but I think we need to focus on now, is the fact that we will continually have opportunities to worship God. The good thing is our God is a God of forgiveness. He's one who allows us to return to him. In scripture, we often hear this word repent, which means to to do a 180 from the way we're going to the way of God. And I think sometimes we as Christians forget that. Sometimes we disqualify ourselves. Sometimes we, we, we fail or we, we stumble or we hurt people in the past and we allow that to say, hey, I'm never going to do anything for God again and, and God can't use me. I'm useless to him. But look at Jonah. Jonah screws it up big time, but God still uses him again. I know my own story as I consider how God has used me. There's been times and places in my life where I have for sure screwed it up. Where I have, I've been so black and white about faith and, and who's in and who's out that I've allowed myself to be uh, repelling from the gospel. But I also know that God can, can, has done other things in those people's lives. I know that God has forgiven me and done a work in my life where I could learn from him and, and become more like him. And I have seen that, that someone who has been at times a failure in terms of, of teaching what it means to be a Christian, he's used me to help others in their faith. As long as God gives us breath, we have an opportunity to worship him. We have an opportunity to follow him. As the chapters of our lives turn, let's look at the chapters of Jonah's life turning and allow that to help us be reminded that even when we fail, even when we feel like we can't do it, even when we have messed up big time, we can pick ourselves up by the grace of God. We can dry ourselves off and we can be used by him to accomplish his purposes. And so I'd encourage you, step out in faith, trusting that God will do something with what he calls you to do. And the thing that should leave us with the, with the third piece of good news in all of this is that Jesus is greater than us. Jesus is greater than Jonah. He's greater than you and me. Again, God is in control. He's, Jesus has already come to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. We're just called now to go and share about what he has already done. Jesus has already not just come to teach about the good news, but to be the good news so that we could receive it and share it. 
Jesus lived the perfect life of obedience to God the Father that you and I never lived. He died on the cross to pay the penalty that we simply couldn't pay, that the people that we're called to reach couldn't pay, and it did not defeat him. Yes, he died on the cross. Yes, he went to the grave, but three days later he rose again, and then eventually he ascended back into heaven where he is in control. When we go and share our faith, when we live the life that Jesus calls us to live, we don't do it on empty, powerless energy from ourselves. We do it with Jesus on our side, empowered by his Holy Spirit who lives in us when we believe in him. And so today what we need to do is stand up and ask ourselves, what is the response God wants from me today as he calls me forward in my life of faith? If you know you have been resisting, listen to the experience of Jonah. Stop resisting. Trust in the power and presence of the God of the universe who is in relationship with you, who wants to work through you, who invites you in. Don't let comfort or apathy or disdain of people or fear of looking silly stop you from living the life Jesus calls you to. God cares how we respond to his call. And it will impact not just us, but the life of others. So let us live as truly passionate followers of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we do want to see more of your kingdom come. We want to see more of your will be done in Abbotsford and our surrounding communities as it is in heaven. God, I know that For myself and for everyone here who is a follower of you, God, you have next steps of of faith that you want us to take. God, would you speak to us? Would you reveal to us what those are? Lord God, if we aren't sure, would we rest? Would we not rest until we have that answer? And then, Lord God, would we rest in trust of what you call us to do? And would we step out in faith? Lord God, I pray that through the, the, the living out of our faith, would we be a group of people who would change our community? Not because we're changing it, but Lord, because you are changing it through us. Lord God, I pray for those who are in the storms of life that have been brought on by sin. Lord God, I pray that they would take this as an opportunity to cling to you, to hold and trust in you. Lord God, would they humble themselves before you and know that you are in control. And then would you use that as a launching point to launch them out to make a difference for your name. Heavenly Father, as a church, we know that there is so much that is out there before us. We know that there is so much that we have in some ways to fear. But God, let us realize that it's not really something that we have to fear because we are to to fear you. We are to respect you. We are to love you alone. And so, Lord God, will we leave any of that worldly fear behind to embrace the call and conviction and power of your spirit? Lord God, we thank you for your word today, for the challenge that it is to us. And Lord God, now as we return to songs of praise, we pray that our hearts would be lifted up, that our praise would be lifted to you. And Lord, would more of your kingdom come, more of your will be done. Would your name be greater known on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.